Good morning, church. Our reading this morning is from Psalms 43, verse 5. Psalms 43, verse 5. <clears throat> why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. May the Lord add his blessing. Well, Dick, thank you so much for doing our reading this morning. Maddie, I'm so glad I got to hear that three times. Ken, thank you. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I haven't said it yet. Good morning. <laughs> Happy Advent. That's good. I like it. I like it. Let's talk to the Lord in prayer together. Join me. Lord, you are the hope of the world. And yet, a large portion of the world hasn't put their hope in you. Lord, we come here to praise you as the hope of the world, to listen to you as the hope of the world, to believe in you as the hope of the world, and to share you with others when we leave, because you are indeed the hope of the world. Lord, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would restore lost hope, that you would reorient hope that has been placed in the wrong thing or the wrong person. Lord, we want godly hopes. We want Holy Spirit-inspired hopes. And those are the hopes that you promised to fulfill. Lord, we pray for those who might have lost hope. Perhaps their hope has been in something that they recently have lost, a job, their health, a loved one. And Lord, we pray that you would restore hope in their lives that you would give hope to those who are deployed, hope to those who are in hospital beds, hope to those who are too sad and discouraged to even be here this morning, and hope to those that are in this room. Lord, may we all find increased hope as we look in your word today. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. May I be a channel, and may Christ be glorified, in whose name we pray. Amen. Christian psychologist Dr. James Dobson tells a true story of a woman by the name of Stella Thornhope who had recently lost her husband to cancer and she was sad, lonely, Christmas was approaching, it was snowing, it looked like she was going to be snowed in and she decided what's the point of decorating for Christmas? It's only her and, and she just didn't feel very very hopeful or like she wanted to celebrate Christmas. And she was thinking about that when there was a knock on the door. And she opened the door, and there was a young delivery man there with a box. And he asked her to sign a form. And because it was snowing and cold outside, she invited him to come in and shut the door. And he put the box on the ground and handed her the form and to sign. And she said, well, who sent this to me? And she was a bit on edge in her voice, wondering what this was and this box was. And he opened the box, and it was a puppy. And she said, you'll understand after you read this letter. And she was handed a letter by the little boy. And she said, this puppy is, is six weeks old. He's, he's completely house-trained. And... The dog was purchased last July. 
and the mother was pregnant. And when the dog was delivered, the owner was told to deliver the puppy to you for Christmas with this letter. Oh, and by the way, I have a book for you. It's entitled, How to Care for Your Labrador Retriever. (laughs) With growing frustration, Stella said, but who sent it to me? The young man turned to leave, and with a smile, he said, well, just read the letter. So he left, and Stella opened up the letter. It was from her husband. He had written it three weeks before he passed away, and he had arranged for this puppy to be given to her at Christmas so that she would not lose hope, and so that she would remember that someday they would be reunited again in heaven, and until that time that this puppy was his gift to keep her company. She wiped away her tears, and she looked at the puppy at her feet and picked him up and snuggled the puppy to her neck. And as she did so, she looked out the window, and she could see the Christmas lights around the neighbor's house. And then she heard the strain of Joy to the World playing on the radio in the kitchen. And with her hopes renewed, she decided, I better go find the Christmas decorations. And she grabbed the puppy and went downstairs and decided, after all, to decorate the house because her joy and her hope had been restored. Today we celebrate what is called the first Sunday of Advent. Advent comes from a Latin word, Avantis, which means coming. And we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ. And we do it for four Sundays prior to Christmas where we'll light the center candle on Christmas Eve. But as we look forward to Christmas, we are looking backwards and forward at the same time because we're looking backwards to Christ's first coming, his first advent, but we're also looking forward to his second coming, his second advent. We are remembering that he came as a helpless baby, but we're remembering also that he's going to come as king of kings and lord of lords and set up his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's why it's appropriate that on the first Sunday of Advent we contemplate the word hope. You and I live in a period that the scriptures call the last days. And the last days are that period of time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. The time between what promises that have already been fulfilled and the time where we have promises yet to be fulfilled. We live in a time, therefore, of waiting for Christ to return. I've been reflecting on hope, and I want to share with you three thoughts that I had on hope. And if you have your outlines, if you want to take them out, the first thought that I had is that hope always requires you to wait. Hope always requires you to wait. Our children excitedly look forward to Christmas, waiting for it to come. And the closer that Christmas comes, the harder it gets to wait. Six months out, not so hard to wait. Six days out, really hard to wait. Six minutes out, it's torture to wait. If you think about it, there's always a time element to hope. I looked up the synonyms of hope and listened to them. They all have a time element related to them. Expectation, optimism, endurance, confidence, And I like this one that was listed as a synonym to hope. Light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) 
In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, the Apostle Paul starts out the book, and he mentioned that Christ Jesus is our hope. Is that true for you? Is Christ Jesus your hope? And if you place your hope in Jesus, it's going to require some waiting. We're waiting for the second advent, but think back to the prophecy of the first advent. I don't know if you know where the prophecy of the first advent was given for the first time. It was given long before King David. It was given long before Moses. It was given long before Noah. In fact, it was given quite possibly just moments after the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, committed the first human sin by eating the forbidden fruit. Because right after they ate it, God shows up and then very cryptically announces the first advent, the first coming of Jesus Christ. In the third chapter of Genesis, verse 15, God is speaking to the devil who's in the form of a servant. And God says to this serpent, he says, and I will put enmity, conflicts, between your seed and her seed. It's interesting, he says, her seed, singular. Women don't have seed, men have seed. This might be a reference to the virgin birth and therefore to Jesus himself. He shall bruise you on the head. The he is Jesus Christ shall bruise you, the devil, on the head. It's going to be a fatal blow to you. And you, the devil, shall bruise him, Jesus, on the heel. He's going to be injured at the crucifixion, but he's not defeated. It's not fatal. What the devil thinks will be fatal to Jesus actually turns out to be fatal to the devil. And this is a prophecy of Christ's first coming. And if you hold to a literal interpretation of Scripture, which I do, if you hold that you can trust the datings and the dates and the numbers in the Scripture, which I do, if you follow a conservative dating done by the 17th century Irish Archbishop James Usher, which I hold, then we come to a number which dates this as 4004 B.C. or approximately that time, depending on the accuracy of some other historical dates. 4,000 years before Christ came the first time, it was prophesied he would come. And he would be the hope of the world. And that's a lot of waiting, 4,000 years. And you're saying, yeah, but I don't believe in the literal thing of Genesis. And I think the world is billions of years old. And I think people are billions. Well, then you've waited even a longer time. (laughs) Hope always requires you to wait. I hate to wait. I don't know who loves to wait. I was talking to my neighbor recently, and he had his side of the wall painted and my side of the wall needed to be painted. And they only painted his side. So I asked him, what color is that? No, oh, I have to ask the painter and blah, blah, blah. And I'm waiting and waiting. And finally one day I said, I'm ready to paint the wall. Um, what color is it? And he said, well, if you're in a rush, just take one of those paint chip things and kind of figure it out. And I go, well, I'm not in a rush. I just don't like to wait. <laughs> I don't know if I needed this page, but let's find out. No, I'm done with that. <laughs> But waiting isn't wasted time. It's actually part of God's plan. 
In fact, waiting is part of the plan that God has for you to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5, the Apostle Paul gives three things to rejoice in. We're going to step right into the middle to the second one in verse 3. And he says in Romans 5, 3, and not only this, but we also rejoice and exult. And then he gives us an odd thing, our tribulations. And the reason is we know that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance or patience or waiting. (laughs) And perseverance, patience, or waiting brings about proven character, in other words, Christ-likeness, and proven character, hope. And I don't know if he meant this chronologically, but what I do know is that he says that waiting and Christ-likeness and hope are three things that all go together. Hope involves waiting, and waiting is a time for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ if you place your hope in God during the time of waiting, verse 5. And that hope does not disappoint. When your hope is in God, God will never disappoint. When your hope ends in disappointment, it's because your hope was not in what God wanted you to hope in. Because God's hope does not disappoint. But waiting is rarely easy, not particularly enjoyable. Think of the traffic light at the Castle Junction on the Poly headed toward town. It's eight minutes. Ask me how I know. Eight minutes. And that's if you actually are close enough in the line to make it through the first time. Who likes to wait? You're in the doctor's office waiting for the doctor. He's running late. How odd is that? I heard a sermon, and the guy said, when the doctor comes in, and you've been waiting and waiting, and he says, I'm sorry uh, that you had to wait, what do you say to the man who holds a knife? (laughs) No problem, doctor. There are lots of good magazines I caught up on, you know, GQ or whatever's out there. (laughs) Waiting. People wait to get married. People wait to have children. People wait to have grandchildren. Hurry up already, you know? (laughs) And there are only two ways to wait. With hope and without hope. Those are the only two ways you can wait. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I think it says 5 in your outline. That's my bad. should be 4. Chapter 5 is a great chapter too, but for today's purposes, we want chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul is contrasting two people. Some people who are waiting without hope and some people who are waiting with hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, but we do not want you to be uninformed. The Greek word, agnaeo, we get our word ignorant from that. He doesn't want us to be ignorant or agnostics, brethren, about those who are asleep. By asleep, we mean those who have died, but their bodies are, it's like they are asleep because they're going to be resurrected. That you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. If you don't believe in the second coming of Christ, you have no hope. None. For if we believe that Jesus died, we do, but it's not enough just to believe Jesus died. Everyone dies. You have to also believe that he rose again, he says, and conquered death and paid for our sins. And if you believe that, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep 
in Jesus. There's hope in the second advent. Therefore, it says in verse 18, comfort one another with these words. Whether it's death or sickness, the loss of a job or the loss of a marriage or even the tragic loss of a loved one, there is hope in Jesus. He's coming back to make all things right. Sometimes we have this idea that sin wins. That a lost dream and a lost hope is a lost dream and a lost hope forever. Well, that's not true. Sin does not win. Sin's ability to destroy hopes, sin's ability to ruin our lives is not more powerful than an all-powerful God who wants to make all things right. And he is coming back at the second coming, and he makes all things right. Every God-inspired dream, every God-inspired hope will be made right. You go, well, I don't know how he can do that. Well, he's all-knowing and all-powerful. He knows how he can do it. The devil doesn't win. Sin doesn't win. Jesus wins. That's why he is the hope of the world. And in whatever area you have lost hope, look to Jesus. Because hope in him will not disappoint, the Bible says. Some of you have heard part of the story about my mom when she was 28 years old. She was at the doctor's office with two-year-old baby girl, Tally, as well as Trisha, who was six weeks old. Trisha was there for a six-week checkup. And that's when my mom's world fell apart. She got a call while at the doctor with her two babies that her husband, an army major by the name of Chuck, had just died in their home of a brain hemorrhage. Her world collapsed. Mom was devastated. They had insult to injury. The military evicted her from her quarters. And so she had to move back and live with her parents in Chicago. She started working as a pharmacist. One day, a neighbor came excitedly to the door, knocking on the door, yelling, Marjorie, 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 come out, quick. Your little girls are painting the side of your new car with nail polish. (laughs) Mom looked at the lady with a glassy stare and just said one word. So? She had lost her husband. Who cares about a car? She had lost hope. Which brings us to my second thought about hope. Hope not only requires waiting, but secondly, hope also requires you to risk. Requires you to risk. The Apostle Paul puts it quite well in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a passage that we studied recently, talking about the resurrection. We're going to pick it up in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16, he says, For if the dead are not raised... We have no hope of a resurrection. Then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, 
Your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. It's a resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives testimony that Christ paid for our sins and conquered death. Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, we would say passed away, have perished. There's nothing beyond the grave if Jesus hasn't been raised. And notice verse 19. If we have only hoped in Christ in this life, we are, of all men, most to be pitied. If you put your hope in Christ, and Christ wasn't raised from the dead, you took a risk, and that hope is not going to be fulfilled. Hope is risky. You've done your best to train your children in the ways of Jesus Christ, and then you send them off alone to the devil's factory for four years <laughs> called the university. You send them off with a hope and a prayer. You hope that your faith is their faith. You hope that your values have become their values. You hope that they actually listen to Pastor Perry when he preached on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Desire, ask, yield every day. And you hope that they apply that to combat the evil influence of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Hope always requires you to risk. Think about it. What could be riskier than placing the hope of all mankind into the inexperienced hands of a poor teenage girl and giving her that hope in the form of a helpless baby that she has to keep alive. Imagine the risk, at least from a human perspective, God was taking when he announced to Mary in Luke chapter 1, through an angel, these words. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 31. Through an angel, God says this to Mary, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of God, of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. The fate of the entire human race and their eternal destiny is going to be placed in the virgin womb of a teenage girl, and nine months later, placed in her hands. Imagine how Mary felt the first time Jesus had a fever and a cough. Imagine, as Jesus grew up, the first time she saw a kid on the playground push him down. Imagine the time Mary actually lost 12-year-old Jesus for three days. Joseph, I've lost the Son of God, the hope of the world. 
Hope is risky. I don't know the details or how it happened, but eventually the weeks turned into months and my mom's hope began to return. She was asked out by, of all people, her dentist. <laughs> A handsome young Greek man who was in the U.S. Navy. She hoped. She took a risk. She said yes. He came to pick her up for the date at her parents' home where she was staying. And as the door opened and she greeted him, 11-month-old toehead Trisha comes hopping down the stairs calling, Mommy! Mommy! Startled, the dentist with wide eyes says, you have a child? (laughs) And mom thinks to herself, there goes my date. Yes, I have two little girls, Tally and Tricia. I am a widow. Hope is risky. Mom was taking a really big risk opening up her heart to love again. And the young Greek dentist was taking a big risk as well hoping to be loved and accepted, not by just one woman, but three women at the same time. (laughs) Hope always requires you to risk. The unbeliever takes a huge risk when they say, I don't believe there's anything after death. I think this life is it. Wow, you hope that nothing happens after you die. What a risk. Or some unbelievers say, well, I hope my good works outweigh my bad works and God decides I can go to heaven. Wow, where, where did you get that theology? Not from the Bible. You're hoping that what you think is, is better than what God thinks? Believers take a risk, hoping that the Bible's true. Hoping that placing your faith in Jesus Christ with no works will actually save you for all eternity. We take a risk. Hope always requires you to wait. Hope always requires you to risk. There's a third thought I had, and that's this. Your hope will end. Your hope will end. Hope is temporal. You can have hope in an eternal thing, but if you look in the Scripture, hope is never called eternal. It's temporal. It's for this life. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13... 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter about love. In verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, But now, another way to translate that Greek word is, At the present, abide or remains faith, hope, love. He's saying these are now things. But the greatest of these three things is love. Why? Because he tells us in verse 8, Love never fails, and that word fail also means come to an end. Faith comes to an end through sight. Hope comes to an end by being fulfilled. Think about it. When, what happens to Christmas hope? When does Christmas hope end? At Christmas. When does a single person's hope for marriage end? When they get married. When does a couple's hope for a child end? And they have a child. Hope always ends, but it always ends in one 
of two ways. It either ends through lost hope or it ends through fulfilled hope. Lost hope or fulfilled hope. Lost hope is described in Psalm 43, verse 5, the passage that was read earlier in the service. The psalmist had lost hope. And so he writes in Psalm 43, verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Here's the solution, hope. Hope in God. Hope in the right thing. And God is always the right thing to hope in. For I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Why are you in despair? Despair is the antonym of hope. It is the opposite of hope. So is fear. So is discouragement. So is pessimism. So is doubt. And if you're here today and you have lost hope in your marriage or your job or your best friend or yourself, or even in God, a good place to start when trying to get your hope back is to claim and to pray the benediction given by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, is a recipe for renewing your hope. Romans 15, verse 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy, in peace, in believing, that you may abound in hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. If you've lost your hope, then pray for God by the power of the Holy Spirit to renew your hope. The all-powerful God wants to give you hope. He is the God of hope. He is the dispenser of hope. And when God gives you hope, it is not a vain hope. It's a hope that will be fulfilled because God always keeps his promises. God's hope never disappoints. Your hopes will end. But they don't have to end because you've lost hope. They should end because God fulfills your hope. When all the Christmas presents have been opened... The floor is littered with games and toys and clothes and crunched up wrapping paper. A child's hope, a Christmas hope, has been fulfilled. Unless, of course, they didn't get what they wanted. Then their hope has been lost. But either way, the hope has ended. Hope always comes to an end. One day... Two-year-old Tally was sitting on the couch in the living room next to the young dentist. She grabs his face with her two little hands, a hand on each cheek, and turns his head to look right in her eyes. And she says to him, if you would marry my mommy, you could be my daddy. My mom about died. (laughs) Would hope be lost at that moment or fulfilled?
where their love grew. Proposal was made and accepted. And mom flew from Chicago to meet her groom, who had already been transferred by the U.S. Navy to his next duty station at Barbers Point Naval Air Station, Hawaii, where they were married by a Navy chaplain. They spent their honeymoon on Coconut Island in the middle of Kaneohe Bay. It was a resort back in 1950. They bought their first house in Eva Beach, on the beach, on Parish Lane, right before Iroquois Point. House was right on the beach. They paid for a brand new house, a whopping $6,000 in 1950. Two years later, they had a baby girl, born a tripler. They named her Leilani. Two years after that, they were transferred to Coronado, California, and they had a baby boy and decided to name him after his father, naming him Perry. And so you know the rest of the story. Hope always requires you to wait. It always requires you to risk. And hope will end. And if it's God-given hope, it ends with fulfillment. And that's the promise of both the first and the second advent. Let's pray together. I'd like to ask those who are serving the communion to prepare the table as we pray. I'd like to ask you if you'd bow your heads so you can have an intimate moment with our God. How's your hope level today? Where have you placed your hope? If your hope is placed in an infinite God, your hope is multiplied by infinity. If your hope is placed in something temporal, it's limited and may end up being lost rather than fulfilled. If you've lost hope today, pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I need restored hope. I need the Holy Spirit to fill me with the hope of God. If you're here and you don't have the hope of where you'll go when you die, if you don't have the hope of spending eternity in a perfect place, in a perfect body, with perfect people. If you haven't embraced that hope, embrace it now and cry out to Jesus and tell him, I believe in your death and resurrection, and I know you are my only hope. And he will fulfill that hope someday. Let's take a moment to quietly prepare our hearts for the communion table. Lord, we are celebrating an absolutely amazing event where filthiness, sinfulness, rottenness is traded away for purity and holiness and forgiveness. Lord, this is a holy moment.
brought to us through your first advent. As we anticipate your second advent, as we live in these last days, we're grateful for a God who forgives us, who cleanses us, who's merciful to us. And we give you thanks. Amen. While having the Passover dinner with his disciples, which we refer to as his Last Supper, Jesus took the Passover bread and gave it a new meaning and said, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat. And he broke it and he gave it to them. And he was letting them know that his body would be given completely and fully on the cross. He then took the cup of wine that had significance in the Passover celebration, but he gave it a new significance. He said it's a new covenant. It's a new agreement. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. And we are told that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're remembering not only what Christ did at his first coming, but we are anticipating his second coming. Let's ask his blessing on these elements. Lord, this is somewhat of a mysterious moment as we ask you to do something mysterious and to bless these elements and to bless us, not fully understanding what that even means. Only knowing that you want to bless us, to give us good, to give us your will. And so, Lord, we ask for these things. May Christ fill us. May we be one with him. In his name we pray. Amen. I remind you that scriptures give us a warning regarding communion. The warning is to selfish people who are bickering and being selfish while celebrating the most selfless act, the death of Christ. If you've snuck in here selfishly and haven't Confess that selfishness to him. Confess it before you partake because this is about being selfless, not being selfish. But if you're all confessed up, if you want to celebrate the forgiveness we have in Christ, if you believe in the unity of the body of Christ, please join us. Please hold the elements to we're all served and then we'll partake together. And Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. Take, eat.
And Jesus said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink, every one of you. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for the mercy you lavish on us. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'd like to just utilize the the benediction that Pastor Perry had in his in his sermon from Romans fifteen thirteen. Very appropriate for today. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Sunday. We'll see you soon.